Retreat for Cross Connection Church Houston. We hope it blesses you, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website. It's connectedtojesus.org. Thanks, and God bless. Hi, friends. I'm so glad to be here, and I'm so glad that y'all are here. And I'm so excited that God, most of all, is here and wants to teach us and grow us and help us grow in glorifying Him in loving Him, in worshiping Him, and in growing in relationship with sisters together. And I'm just so glad that we get to have this wonderful opportunity and that God brought each of you here, and some through obvious trials and some not so obvious, but I'm sure God has a really special reason for each person being here tonight. So I pray that we will all be open to that. And let's starting start off with praying right now. Lord, thank you. You are the King. You are Almighty God. Thank you for this time to get away and be with you this weekend and with our sisters. And God, I just pray that you would be glorified, that we would grow to know you and love you and trust you more and more. And God, I just pray tonight that you would speak through me and that your Holy Spirit would say just what you want to say and that I would uh, be out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our theme for the retreat is the wonderful names of God. And there is an important reason why we want to take this time, this weekend, to get to know God's names better. First of all, we have uh, Psalm 910. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. Those who know God's name will put their trust in God. Isn't this what we want, to put our trust in God? Here's God's word telling us we need to know his name better, and we will be able to trust him more. Think back to when you first met um, and began a relationship with your husband or your best friend. As you got to know him or her better, didn't you come to trust that person more? I remember first meeting and slowly getting to know my husband, Matthew, and it was via emails for the first three months, and then we met um, briefly. He was in Scotland. I was in America. We met for a few days in person, and then he started calling me from Scotland, very long, expensive international phone calls before there was a Skype and FaceTime, and I have hours of conversation at a time, and all this leading up to him finally proposing. But the better I got to know him, the more I admired and felt I could truly trust him. In the same way, the more we know God, the more we will love him and trust him. And he's God. Matthew's pretty great, but he's nowhere close to God, okay? So God never, we we never find faults or problems or uh, disappointments in God like we would in another human, even another human that we love very, very much. So those who know God's name will put their trust in him. Looking back over my life, I see how I got to know God better and better from being saved at 11 years old until now. And the more I got to know him, the better I trusted him 
and it's just only grown from then until now. Um, just this past fall, I taught my girls, Scarlett and Eden, um, their first first time taking them through studying the names of God, and they just loved it. They really ate it up, and I taught them the Hebrew and the Greek, and they thought that was so cool to be able to say Elohim and El Shaddai and all these cool uh, other language names of God, but learning the meanings of it and how great that was and how they came to trust in God more as they knew these characteristics of him better. And... Scarlett wanted me to write them all down, and she put them up, like taped them up right next to her bed so she could look at it all the time. And so she's meditating on knowing God's names and studying that and getting to know and trust him better. So those who know your name will put their trust in you. Um, Matthew Henry sums it up. It's really simple, right? It doesn't take a lot. The better God is known, the more he is trusted. So that's my point, like this weekend, okay? He says it, the better God's known, the more he's trusted. We need to trust him more. And so let's get to know him better. And that's what we want to do this weekend. We're going to be studying uh, four different main uh, areas of God and his name. Wonderful name, the King tonight, Holy One, Savior, and Father. Now this is not even close to an exhaustive list or study where we'll cover every name and attributes of attribute of God, but we want to give you a jumping off point to carry on this study, hopefully on your own, and study and know God better and better for yourself so that you can know him and trust him more. So tonight, God as king, we're going to study God as king over all the earth. Psalm 47, 2, for the Lord most high is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. You know, we were singing that in a lot of those songs, right? He's a great king over all the earth. Now, imagine with me that you are a damsel in distress, being chased by an evil, fire-breathing dragon, all right? You run across the drawbridge, over the moat, through the imposing gates of the thick city wall into the courtyard of the castle and you climb to the top of the strong tower and you throw yourself at the mercy of the magnificent benevolent monarch and you rest there in complete relief because you know the almighty king he's also your darling daddy and you know he is all-powerful and he's going to rise up and victoriously vanquish that evil dragon. Our theme verse for this whole weekend is Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Living in the ancient land of Scotland as a missionary for seven years gave me lots of wonderful firsthand experience with castles and towers. I visited loads of them while we lived there. This is Edinburgh, Scotland, in the capital of Edinburgh. And it's still there, all right? Hundreds of years later, these places are still there, still strong, still imposing. And I tell you, if I was living in medieval times and there was a dragon or something bad after me, I would be hightailing it to the strong tower of the castle, all right? It's very obvious. This is the place to go for security and safety. And especially if the king was my father, right? 
Ladies, we not only have a benevolent and wonderful king who rules our kingdom, we also are his beloved chosen daughters. And he longs for us to rush to him for his presence and his protection. A great king, like our God, has two very important attributes that we'll cover tonight. Those are the attributes of power and authority. Being a daughter of the king has privileges, but it also has its righteous responsibilities. So we will be studying four of the wonderful names of God as king tonight, and also four proper responses as his beloved royal daughters. So tonight, this is just the overview. We're going to unpack each one. Tonight, we're going to look at three power names of God. God is omniscient, and the response to that is confession. God is omnipotent, and the response is worship that he wants. God is omnipresent, and our response should be trust. And in authority, God is king, and our response should be obedience. So... The first power name of God is omniscient. And this is a word that comes in English from Latin, okay? And it breaks down like this. Omni is all, and you notice omni is going to be in our other two more words that are coming up. Omni is all, and sentia is knowing. What What word does that look like in English? Science, right? Pretty cool, huh? So um, I should have asked Mariah, our Latin expert, about this, but um, sentia is, looks a lot like our word for science, right? So it means knowing. So omniscient is omnisentia, all-knowing, all right? So God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. Don't you love it when your best friend notices everything about you and encourages you in those details. God notices every detail of us, not just our actions, but also our thoughts, our words, our dreams, and even our good intentions. Psalm 139, 1 to 4. Wonderful, wonderful psalm, right? Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts far off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. As daughters of the king and as daughters of the omniscient, all-knowing one, God is deeply interested in knowing us completely. He doesn't just know it but he shows that he cares about every one of those details. We are inscribed on the palms of his hands, all right? Isaiah 49, 16. He knows every hair on our heads, Luke 12, 6 to 7. And he knows all of our tears and collects them in his bottle, Psalm 56, 8. I don't know about you, but I think my bottle for my tears is probably more like a five-gallon bucket, (laughs) especially lately. So um, it's just so cool. God knowing all about us is such a blessing. It's so good. But sometimes we don't like it because that also means he knows all of our sin, too, and all of the ugly parts of us. My little princess 
daughter Eden, who is sometimes a princess, <laughs> sometimes aspiring princess, um, when she was three or four, she one day, as often kids do, right, uh, as all of us have probably done, pushed, was told to clean her room, and she pushed all her clothes into, and toys, you know, into the closet and shut the closet door. Like, Mommy, it's clean! <laughs> like, yeah. And then, upon being caught and disciplined um, for her lying, um, she said, I don't like God. And I'm like, where did this come from? You know, like, this is just clean your room. You didn't do it. I'm disciplining you. I don't like God. And I said, why not? Why don't you like God? And then she quoted her recent Bible memory verse. I don't like God because if you do not obey, then take note you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. God found me out. <laughs> wow, that's quite a, you know, application point there for for the three-year-old. So um, it wasn't so much she didn't like God. She just didn't like that the consequences that came when her sin found her out. And we can't get away with anything in our king's kingdom because he is all-knowing, omniscient. He knows even the things that we hide in the deepest, deepest parts of our heart and mind and away from everybody else. So the right response to an omniscient God as his royal daughters is confession. Because God is omniscient, all-knowing, we need to run to him in confession. Since God perfectly knows you as his daughter, all your good, all your hairs, you're inscribed on his hands, he knows every tear, he also knows all of our needs and all of our sins. And we need to go ahead and humbly confess to him. He already knows it, right? It's for our own sake that we need to confess. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As women in our culture, we like to put on masks, right? And as the mother of two little dress-up girls. I have quite the collection of dress-up clothes, right? So women in our culture, we put on masks, right? We try to be seen as Wonder Woman, right? Isn't she popular today, right? I'm Wonder Woman, all right? As we want to be seen as better and smarter, more successful, we want to see, be seen as women, we, we've got it together. I can handle it, right? But you can be just you with God. You don't need the mask. Alright? And God doesn't want us to be covering ourselves up with a mask with our sisters either. Okay? We shouldn't try to hide and put on the brave face with God or with our church family. God already knows us exactly as we are and anyway, he still loves you and longs for you to run to him because he died for you. So come running to the strong tower to confess and receive his forgiveness and be returned to that right, joyful relationship with him. When I was in grad school, I, try, I did um, try putting on a mask before God and other people. I was a committed believer in Jesus. I 
but I rather quickly got into a very serious relationship with this guy who said he was saved and that he wanted to serve God and he talked good talk. And But I really quickly got into a serious relationship with him. And as I got to know him better, instead of trusting him more, I realized he was not trustworthy. Um, I saw under the surface and realized he was trying to deceive me. He wasn't serious about following God at all. Deep down, I knew I should end the relationship. But my pride, my mask, all right, didn't want to admit that I had made such a foolish mistake as getting into a serious relationship with a guy who was definitely not serious with God. So Jesus thankfully used a pastor in my life to wisely, gently, strongly rebuke me. And I finally ran to God in confession and just broke off all contact with that guy. And I was so embarrassed. But God wasn't shocked. God wasn't like, no, you really did that? What are you thinking? No, he knew, right? He'd been waiting all along for me to get rid of the mask and confess to him. He already knew all my foolishness and all my pride. And he forgave me and he cleansed me. So ladies, God knows our sin. Whether we admit it and confess it or not, he already knows it. And he still loves us. He still sacrificed himself for us to cleanse us from our sin. So we need to run to him to confess so that we can be forgiven and cleansed and enjoy that perfect communion with him again. Now, the second power name of God is omnipotent. All right? Now, this is Latin, but this one's even easier because it's omni, right? All and potent. We even use that word, potent, strong, powerful, um, intense, right? So God is omnipotent, all-powerful, all right? So we're going to talk about three different ways that God is omnipotent, all-powerful. First of all, he's omnipotent over creation. One of the most important demonstrations we have of God's power is his work as creator. God is not only the king of the castle and the realm, like a normal king, right? But he's so much more. He even is the king who created the universe, that the kingdom is on. He created the planet. He founded the kingdom, and he created every single person. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that word created is bara in English. I mean, in English, in Hebrew, B-A-R-A. And that means created from nothing. All right? So I've considered myself a creative person. I like to make things. My girls spend, uh, if we're at home, they'll spend two or three hours every day, especially Scarlett, doing art or crafts or making something of some kind, right? They love creating things. Um, We've got creative people with music and creative with making stuff. My brother in Florida, he is an amazing woodworker. He's like artwork, what he does with wood. It's just amazing. People pay lots of money for his fancy stuff, and they should. It's really, really good. So... There's a lot of creative people. This is something we get from God, being creative, right? But none of us bara, all right? None of us create from nothing. I use my hands to create. I use materials to create. God created the world from nothing, just with the power of his voice, the power of God's word, okay? So we have bara, God created from nothing. And if we can truly believe this Bible verse, 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If we actually know what that means and say, I really, truly, literally believe that, then everything else in the Bible should be easy. And if we don't believe the rest of the Bible, then maybe we're not believing this. Because if God can create everything out of nothing, what's the big deal walking on water? No big deal raising from the dead. None of this is hard. If God really created everything in the universe and created every scientific law, why can't he just change any of that when he created it himself? And he's all-powerful, omnipotent, okay? Second, God is omnipotent over any enemy. Think about enemies in your life now or in the past. Maybe enemies like bullies, mean neighbors, abusers, persecutors, angry exes, hateful co-workers, grudge-holding family members. However, there's a worse enemy than all of that, even the devil, right? 1 John 4, 4, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus is greater than Satan, all right? Nothing um, that Satan can do, you know, gets Jesus upset or ruffles his feathers in any way, all right? Now, me... Uh, if, if, the, if the he who is in you, if it was just you greater than Satan, that would not work at all, right? But it's he who is in you. It's Jesus inside of us who is greater than Satan. So we need to come to the omnipotent God who is more powerful than Satan and any enemy that we have. Second Chronicles 26 says, O oh Lord God, in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. God is so omnipotent and all-powerful that no one can withstand him. No one is even a worthy opponent. In fact, it's not even a close competition. It's not like, oh, you know, Batman versus Superman, how's it going to end, you know? It's a nail-biter. It's not like that, all right? God and Satan don't even belong in the same weight class. God's level of play is literally worlds above Satan's. It's like the Houston Rockets versus elementary upwards basketball, you know, like elementary kids playing. It's like um, the size of Texas versus the side of Rhode Island. It's like bluebell ice cream versus any other ice cream, right? <laughs> it's like the iceberg versus the Titanic. Yeah. All right. God crushes Satan every single time. God's omnipotent, and he can defeat any enemy that comes our way. Number three, omnipotent over any obstacle. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And this word temptation is actually not just temptation. It's actually temptation and trial. All right? So any temptation or trial, all right, God will not let you be tempted or put in a trial beyond what you can bear, be able to handle with God's help. All right? Now some common obstacles for us ladies today, right? Marriage problems, meaning before not being married and wanting to be, or in marriage and having trouble with that, self-image, finances, parenting, job relationships, past and present hurts, abuse, abandonment, guilt, temptation. 
Is God powerful enough to overcome these obstacles? Yes, right? We know that answer is yes, okay? I thought, yes, I believe he can. But deep down, sometimes I wonder, well, is he going to do it for me? Like, I mean, I know the answer is yes, he can, but will he really? You know? Is it really that big a deal, big enough for him, you know, to be bothered with? Well, think of it this way. As a mother, if I see an enemy or an obstacle coming against my little girls, as a, just as a purely human, sinful person, am I not, like, motivated? Wow, I want to help them overcome any enemy, any obstacle, however I possibly can. And this is not as a Christian. This is just as a human um, mother with my maternal instinct, right? Well, if that is just the human unsaved instinct, then what about God as our heavenly father, our king, and we're his royal daughters? Of course he wants to overcome and use his power, his omnipotent, all power, to help us overcome these obstacles. So the right response to an omnipotent God is worship. Because God, in review, is omniscient, all-knowing, we need to run to him in confession. And now, because God is omnipotent, all-powerful over creation, over enemies, and over obstacles, he deserves our worship. One of my favorite old hymns about the king and why we worship him is this. <clears throat> oh, worship the king, all glorious above, and gratefully sing his wonderful love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. So it's like an old hymn, right? I don't know if a lot of you maybe don't know it, but I grew up with hymns, and that's one that I still love very much. And it's all about God, all right? And we worship him because he's king. He's glorious. He has wonderful love. He's our shield, our defender, the ancient of days. He's pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise, all right? So he's amazing God. And we worship him because this is the right and proper response. One of our songs was, Worthy, You Are Worthy. All right? He deserves it. All right? It has nothing to do with my situation, my circumstances, how I feel, what's my mood, how people have been treating me. None of that matters. God is worthy. He deserves it. It's who he is. He is worthy of praise and adoration at all times. Um, Lupe just read Psalm 47, and verse 6 and 7 says, Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with understanding. And we should be singing praises to God. But worship isn't just singing, all right? Worship is an inward heart and thought life of honoring God. Let me show you this. All right. Worship is something that should be in our life. If our life is liquid, our worship should one drop of it, however much we have of it, should 
should influence all of our life so that we add worship and it should influence not just our singing, but every part of our life, how we speak, how we act, what our attitudes are, every single thing that we have to do should be influenced and spread. So we color our life, the liquid of our life should be colored with worship in every part of us. So he doesn't just want us to come into the tower in times of peril. In my story, the girl's running there, the dragon's coming. Um, But he doesn't just want us there when there's peril. He wants us there all the time. Um, Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. We belong in that throne room. We're his daughters. He wants us there. He wants us to worship him for our whole lives to be colored with worship for him. So that's where we belong as his daughters. He wants us in there with him. The third name, power name of God, is omnipresent. And this one is Latin as well, right? Omni, all, and present. Present is the most obvious one of all. God is present in every place, everywhere, all the time. Psalm 139, 7 to 10. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell below, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Not only can God know and see everything all the time, but he's actually there, everywhere in every place, all the time. A.W. Tozer who I really love, wrote this book, The Attributes of God. And he has a nice big fat chapter on the omnipresence of God. And this is a little bit of it, okay? He uses a bucket, and so I thought, I'll take his idea, all right? So he says, we think rightly about God only when we rule out the concept of space altogether. God, being infinite, does not dwell in space. He swallows up all space. God fills heaven and earth just as the ocean fills a bucket, which has been submerged in it a mile down. Okay? The bucket is full of the ocean, but the ocean surrounds the bucket in all directions. So when God says he fills heaven and earth, he does. But heaven and earth are submerged in God. And all space is, too. The heavens of heavens cannot contain him. Second Chronicles 2.6. God is not contained. God contains. All right? So every part of our universe, you know, we love going to NASA and seeing all the space stuff. And my girls just think it's fantastic, and I agree, right? And, and <laughs> our NASA expert here, Miss Sylvia, so... The, the, our universe is, is huge. We can't, we can't even comprehend how big it is. Even our experts here in Houston don't even know. It just keeps going and going, right? Well, no, it's all in the bucket. You see? It's all in here. And we're just thinking like, wow, you know, our, our Earth is so tiny compared to all of space. Well, all of space is like a bucket compared to the ocean of God. It's, it's nothing to him. We're all just a, it's all just a bucket 
And we're tiny on the earth, not to mention tiny in space. And we're just in that bucket. God is omnipresent. It's like, and we're like, oh, is God there with me in my trial as I'm right here in Houston in my little... It's like, yep, I'm there. (laughs) You know, I'm everywhere else. God contains everything, all right? He is omnipresent. Present in every place, all the time. Okay? Um, Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. All right? So it's huge and all-powerful and mighty and everywhere there's this intimacy at the same time. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the right response to an omnipresent God is trust. So first we have omniscient. Because God is omniscient, all-knowing, we need to run to him in confession Because God is omnipotent over creation, enemies, and obstacles, he deserves our worship. And because God is omnipresent in every place, we should trust him completely. What an amazing king who's also our father. Our only proper response as daughters is to trust him in every way. As women, we often struggle with fear instead of trusting We tend to be more sensitive and more emotional about things. Plus, there are a lot of bad things out there to be scared of. Um, We've got relationship fails, pain, disease, children who reject God, loss of job, financial ruin, sex trafficking, maybe abandonment of a husband or someone in your family. Will people that you love die? Do you feel unvalued or unloved? What about this crazy divorce rate? It's no wonder many people think they can't trust anyone. Yet God promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Our God is not like sinful human beings who do fail and do forsake and do let us down. He will never leave you nor forsake you, and we know he has all knowledge of what you need and also all power to accomplish it. He is faithful when we are faithless. So what does God command us concerning fear? We're not to do it. As natural and human as it is to fear, God says, do not fear. Psalm 23, 4, right? The the good shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. If we actually believe the power and the authority of God, then our full trust in him cancels out fear. If we truly trust him, we're not going to fear, be afraid because we know that he is with us. He's the reason we cannot fear. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and safe. I love that it's run, all right? It's not just walk or amble or meander over to the strong tower is like, no, get your butt moving, (laughs) all right? Um, This metaphor of running, it's a wholehearted, unwavering trust in God's name and his willingness and ability to provide. You wouldn't run to the tower unless you were sure there was help, all right? The Hebrew verb run, not too crazy here, it means to make haste, to travel, journey by moving one's legs rapidly, It conveys an idea of urgency and hurry, all right? Just like we would think, run, urgency, hurry, the dragon's going to get you, 
All right, so get to the tower. Um, just like our damsel in distress runs as fast as she can for the strong tower of the king's castle, so we too should run to trust in God. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. When the day of trouble arrives, some people reach for their credit cards and they think money can help them. All right? Some people reach for the telephone. My friends are going to help me. Some post on Facebook, I need the verification. I need good comments so I can feel value and worthwhile. All right? Some trust in chariots, some in horses, some in Facebook, some in the telephone, some in money. But daughters of the king trust in the name of the Lord our God, and we run to him with complete trust, complete dependence on him and him alone. Those who know your name will put their trust in you, Psalm 9:10. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. Knowing the authority and power of God's name helped me to trust God in one of my hardest times of suffering. Um, the loss of two babies to miscarriage that happened. Uh, we lost both babies in four months' time, and it was before we had Scarlet and Eden, so we didn't know if we are going to be able to have kids at all. Um, and it wasn't easy. Uh, I cried and cried for months, and then I cried some more off and on for a lot more months. Um, but... Even with the tears, I missed my babies. I still had complete peace at the same time. And I knew I could trust God with this. I knew God was omniscient. And so he's all-knowing. And he, that means he knew everything about our heart's desire to be parents. And so I can trust him. He knows. I'm going to trust him. I knew God was the omnipotent creator who lovingly formed the babies in my womb and knitted them together. So he knew, and so I trusted him. I knew God was omnipotent, all-powerful, powerful enough to have made my babies be born healthy if that was his will. So I trusted him. I knew God was omnipresent, that he was present everywhere, including in the womb, where he saw what happened, even though I didn't know what happened, and I trusted him. And I knew God was the good king, who had all authority over everything, including my womb, so I trusted him. Because I know God and his names and his wonderful attributes of power and authority, I can put my trust in the king, even when I still don't know and probably will never know why some bad things happen. I can still trust him because I know him. I know his names and I know how good he is. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Our final name for tonight is God's authority name of king. God is the reigning authority. He's the king. This king, strong tower that we're running to, has all authority. He's our king. He's our master. He's our Lord. He's our sovereign. He's our boss. 
1 Timothy 6, 15 to 16, describes God as he who is the blessed and only potentate. I love that. The king of kings and lord of lords who alone has everlasting power. Amen. Not only does God have all power, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, but he also has all authority to go with that power. All right, so some people may have strength but not have the authority to enforce it or have authority but not be strong. Well, God has the strength, he has the power, and he has the position of authority. Authority is position, right, and power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. God conveys us into his kingdom. Colossians 1.13, God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Conveyed us means to transpose, transfer, remove from one place to another. In ancient times, when one ruler conquered another nation, he would take the survivors of the conquered people and convey them, transfer them, move them into his original kingdom. Brought my traveling case here. All right. You'd have to pack up, or probably they wouldn't get to pack much. But anyway, they would be moved, whether they wanted to or not, into the new kingdom. All right. So we are the wonderful spoil, all right? This was the spoil. It wasn't a good thing in that day, right? But for us, when God is the conquering king, okay, we are the spoil that he claims for himself in his battle against Satan. His goal is to win each of our hearts through salvation and then transfer or convey us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the wonderful kingdom, not as slaves, but as his adopted daughters, his own princesses. This is a, there's a privileged level of love and access that I give to my daughters. Even though they have great sin, and I see their sin more than anybody else, I still love them and give them benefits, all right? Because they're my daughters, they get physical care, they got potty training, they get time and love and education and attention and even vomit cleaning up assistance, all right? These are exclusive benefits, <laughs> and they are at a near constant level, and they go to Scarlet Neen simply because of their position as my children. Well, ladies, we have an amazing daughter-only, exclusive, beneficial role offered by our king, who chose to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his love as his adopted daughters. Are we living like chosen adopted, privileged princesses conveyed into God's kingdom? Or are we still at times living like slaves with our old habits and our old sin that we're still holding on to from our leftover time in Satan's kingdom? God is a unique king who wasn't born or elected into the role of authority, but the creator of the kingdom itself. Thus, there's no question as to who should be that king. God is the unquestionable, unmistakable, obvious, absolute king. He's not an earthly authority like Caesar Augustus or President Sam Houston or Donald Trump. With an earthly king or authority, there's always flaws, all right, in the rule and in the relationship because both the leader and the follower 
are imperfect and have sin. <clears throat> but with a perfect God as the kingly authority, that leaves only us at fault when there's problems. Okay? We're the only ones that have sin to bring into the relationship. Because God, with a perfect God as our perfect king, we are his imperfect subjects. And so the right response to God, who is the king, is for us to respond in obedience. Because God is king with all authority, we should demonstrate obedience as submissive daughters. Obedience and submission are pretty much considered bad words today, and I can understand why. It's because with an earthly authority, there's always flaws in the rule and relationship, but that doesn't let us off the hook of submission and obedience. God has set up earthly authorities over us, such as parents, husband, church leaders, government leaders. God commands us to submit and obey. And this submission is a voluntary, willingly placing yourself under the authority or rank of another to obey. Just because they are imperfect authorities doesn't mean we get to refuse to give respect and submission and obedience as God commands us. We show obedience to God by showing obedience to the authorities that he has placed over us. Not because they deserve it, but because God deserves it. God's the one who's worthy, not the human authority. So it doesn't matter, really. It's between them and God how well they do as the authority. We need to leave that to God. And we need to say, my job is submitting and obeying. And how can I do that, God, out of obedience to you and not make it dependent on the earthly authorities um, deserving of it? So we do this because he's conveyed us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his love. A princess trusts in her king and then acts on that trust by submitting in obedience. Daniel 11.32 says, The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. All right? Now, I want to be a person who knows God and loves him so much that God's strength through me will do exploits for God. That's cool. All right? Not the mask. That's not cool. All right? But doing exploits with through God, that is exciting. I want to be a princess who knows well my God, the king, and is strong to do exploits for him. And the way we can do exploits is not by acting in our own ideas and strength, but by submitting to God's will and being obedient to his commands. Another favorite hymn of mine, and this time sung by my little girls, if it Video works. Here we go. Trust in obey, for there's no other way to be happy at Jesus, but to trust and obey. I taught them that when they were like two and three. I'm like, this is a good one to start with. Trust and obey. <clears throat> So in conclusion, because God is omniscient, all-knowing, we need to run to him in confession. Because God is omnipotent over creation, enemies, and obstacles, he deserves our worship. Because God is omnipresent in every place all the time, we should trust him completely. 
Because God is king with all authority, we should demonstrate obedience as submissive daughters. So do you believe this? Do you live and talk and think like you believe this? Luke 6, 46 to 49, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Here's my rock. All right. Built a foundation on the rock. All right. And when the flood rose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the sand. All right, with my little sand toy here, right? He built his house on the sand without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. All right? And the ruin of that house was great. Both men, both builders, heard the exact same words of Jesus. He says they heard it. They both heard his sayings. But this man who built on the rock, he did what God commanded him. And this man who built on the sand heard God's words but did not obey them. So what will you do with what you heard tonight from God's word? All of us heard it. Which of us will submit to his will and do what he tells us to do? If we really know and believe that God is all-powerful and has all authority, then we as good daughters of the king will respond with confession, with worship, with trust and with obedience. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your amazing word that you have written for us. And God, I pray that you would help us to hear and obey your commands tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.